The health of the world's oceans is a growing concern, but measuring ocean health is a complicated undertaking. Some people studying the issue focus on pollution, while others look at the health of corals or marine mammals. One project attempts to take a comprehensive picture of the health of oceans in order to provide information about oceanic vital signs to stakeholders. The Ocean Health Index is the focus of this episode of Stats and Stories, where we explore the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics. I'm Rose Mary Pennington. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Joining me is regular panelist John Baylor, Chair of Miami Statistics Department. Our guests today are Dr. Lelis Bravo and Dr. Julia Stewart-Lowndes. Bravo is a statistics professor in the Department of Statistics at University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Before that, she was a member of the Science Steering Committee of the Biospherical Aspects of the Hydrological Cycle Project from the International Geosphere-Biosphere Program and lead author of the Millennium Ecosystem Assessment Report. Her research interests include spatial and temporal analysis of environmental data, including the development of risk assessment methods to evaluate the impacts of natural hazards under potential climate change. Lowndes is a marine ecologist, data scientist, and senior fellow at the National Center for Ecological Analysis and Synthesis at the University of California, Santa Barbara. She champions kinder, better science in less time through open data science and teamwork. As a marine data scientist, Mozilla Fellow, and senior fellow at NCEAS, she has spent more than seven years designing and leading programs to empower science teams with skill sets and mindsets for reproducible research, empowering researchers with existing open tools and communities. She's been building communities of practice in this space since 2013 with the Ocean Health Index. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Thanks so much. Thank you for the invitation. I, you know, I think the first big question for for not just John and I, but our listeners is what is the Ocean Health Index? That's a good question. Um, So the Ocean Health Index is a scientific framework to help measure what people value about the oceans. And so that can be things like like fishing, but beyond just the food um, and the, the tons of fish that we get from the oceans, how does fishing play into the jobs that people have and to the cultural identity that people have? And then how does something like fishing play alongside other things like tourism and habitats? You know, what the, the 2013 number actually resonates with us. That was our very first episode of the <laughs> podcast. So, you know, this is, I don't know, maybe the stars are aligned to bring OHI and stats and stories together today. This is... <laughs> You didn't think that, did you? you I know? did not. Oh, come on, Rosemary. Uh, so, so one thing I'm curious about is what what was the the inspiration for doing this? I mean, you you told us what this is, and I, I think it's really a neat idea that this framework for trying to assess and evaluate value of the oceans. But but what is the the what what pushed this into to existence? Yeah. So this started off as a collaboration before 2010, I think 2009, it started as a collaboration uh, between some folks at Conservation International and at NCs at UC Santa Barbara. And the idea was um, really to have a a way to uh, use the best available data and best available science to easily communicate um, how well oceans were doing so that management could make proactive decisions um, based on that information. Um, so it was really a partnership between science and, and managers and thinking about where we could best 
collaborate and communicate around healthy oceans. You know, so the the, the follow-up is obviously, so, you you know, the gestation period sounds like it's at least four years, for given, the, yes. <laughs> given that conception. <laughs> so, so what's, can you talk a little bit about you know, this movement from conception to implementation. And just before we started the, the conversation today, you know, you had mentioned that, that, that lately some of your pers your perspective on, on using kind of some of the open source tools or using some reproducible research ideas were really important. Could, so could you talk a little bit about those tools and then also kind of this movement from conception to implementation? So yeah, what this looked like was, um, first of all, starting off at the conceptual level of, of what are these kind of benefits that the oceans provide people and really trying to catalog, catalog or categorize them. So the idea that there's food provision, that there's sense of place, that there's tourism and recreation that the ocean provides. So it's really starting at this kind of high level conceptual framework not limited to data at hand or scientific models at hand. So really starting at that high level. And then the idea was that from that high level, then you could apply that conceptual framework to different spatial scales. So at the global level, thinking about what data sets exist from the World Bank or from the UN, so that this could be something used at for policy at like the UN level, where you're comparing, you know, how oceans are doing coast to coast for nations. But then also we, so the idea was to have this conceptual framework that would, that would be able to be used at, at like a global level or at a very small spatial scale for, and tailored so that we made sure that you were using data and looking towards setting goals and reference points for what was important at that spatial scale. And that's something that Laylees can, can speak to as well, because she's worked at these at, at three different spatial scales now using this same framework and incorporating data. Yeah, well, yeah, that's where, uh, you know, like uh, my experience comes into place. Uh, looking at the global perspective uh, where the uh, global health index was uh, designed and then uh, taking that to a local problem and to understand how uh, local managers uh, could uh, benefit for, from understanding all the different aspects of uh, their, you know, ocean in front of, in front of them, uh, just, you know, provisioning so many resources, you know, like uh, uh, food, tourism, uh, sense of place, conservation, uh, and many others. So then uh, at the local scale, it's, it's a challenge that is uh, maybe uh, having a different uh, lens that when you look at that at, at a global scale, because uh, at a local scale, uh, you have uh, different uh, resources and communities that not necessarily have a data-oriented uh, platform and nor different sources of data organized in such a way that uh, they can make some purpose or they can make some conclusions and they can make some or design some policies. So then uh, that's where, where, you know, the challenge comes into place where, you know, you have to sit with the, the local stakeholders and and just uh, explain to them, you, we have these different goals. Each goal has a different philosophy and, and each goal is going to need different sets of data sources. And where are these data sources? Uh, where, where are your institutions? What, what kind of data do they have? Uh, can we use this local data? Can we put it into a format that uh, can be uh, used to fit the, the global health index into our local problem? And then things like, for example, 
uh, different pressures and resilience uh, aspects that you need to understand locally, how the communities see the different pressures, whether they have some, uh, you know, uh, pressures that are uh, more important than others, how you can just order that and, and, and just uh, take into account their uh, perspective as well. Uh, and then, of course, we as data scientists in the other side, trying to help to organize this information in a way that it makes sense and it's, it's usable for uh, model calculations and finally to get the, the global index or the local index as a number that makes sense locally. I, I was going to actually ask about this conceptualization of of the things you're measuring. So I think sense of place is one of them, correct? And, and that's something that I, I do digital media research and sort of this idea of place and, and space plays a lot into the work that I do there. And I'm just kind of wondering if you could talk through, you know, how do you conceptualize something like sense of place in relation to sort of ocean and ocean health in particular? Because I think when we hear ocean health, it's, you know, the the waves of plastic we see or the dying mm-hmm. mammals. And I think that that idea of place being pivotal to that understanding is really intriguing. Yeah, no, it is. And um, and something too, the Ocean Health Index builds off of previous work looking at cumulative human impacts. And so looking at the plastic and the over overfishing and climate change and other human pressures. And really the Ocean Health Index is trying to capture the, the benefits that the ocean provides um, while also keeping those pressures and human impacts there. But so yeah, the idea of sense of place is a really important one and not one that, you know, I as a marine ecologist like have a lot of experience with. This is there's a lot of social science in in this kind of idea. But it's something we all feel like the connection to to people living at the coast or working at the coast or visiting the coast. And so some examples of um data that we've used at different scales to try to capture that are um, whether there's local species that are protected or whether local species show up on stamps or are like involved in public artwork in different places. So they're, you know, they're, they're trying to capture that type of, that kind of connection to oceans and why, why people care and value the oceans. Um, and, and that's kind of where this, like, it gets really fun and creative and challenging, right? Like, what, what data might exist that could represent this feeling? And how would then you model it in a way that would make sense um, to capture really the, that philosophy of the goal? Yeah, when I, when I was looking at this, the, this, this matrix of possible outcomes here of, you know, this, you have these different goals, ten, these 10 different goals and dimensions. And I, I really like that you have the status, pressures, and resilience is, is kind of a component of each of those. So you have this at this high level, you're, you're, you're framing this out, and then you're kind of drilling in to, to, to think about this more. I, th- I thought it might be helpful for, for people that are listening and for us too to maybe pick, just pick one of these dimensions that you like and talk, give an example of what a status measure might look like for that, that goal and what, what, is, what is a pressure in that context, then how, what, how is resilience maybe considered? So if, not to put you on the spot, but just to, to, to maybe help kind of just expand a little bit. And, you know, we'll even let you pick your favorite dimension. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, uh, for example, uh, tourism is uh, one that is uh, interesting. And it's one of the ones that we have had uh, to adapt locally 
more than the others because uh, locally tourism is uh, is having a very different dynamics uh, depending on the location you are. Uh, Some things are uh, regulated, other things are not regulated. Uh, So you normally want to have different proxies if you don't have enough data. For example, if you don't have enough data on on the number of visitors uh, that you have to a different place, uh, then you you might use proxy data on you know, like for example, what how, how much the uh, tourism industry generates or is is supporting local economies. So then, that proxy information can be used as a as a measure of of how the tourism activity is is measured. But uh, but then, if you have data on the local number of visitors, like for example, in Ecuador, Galapagos Island is a very well monitored. So you might use that, that, that data directly. So uh, you don't need to really have proxies if you have enough information locally. So that is the challenge to, to see whether locally you have uh, uh, in better information that is going to be making the job of measuring really the, uh, the use of the ocean as a resource for tourism. So tourism was, uh, has always been a very challenging, a very challenging goal. And then how is uh, the projection uh, for the future? Uh, and, and then, uh, of course, local status uh, based on, on, on recent history is, is okay if you have uh, historical data uh, on, uh, for example, number of visitors or employment. But then uh, how is it going to move into the future? Well, that is a little bit tricky. And then pressures um, and resilience there are, you know, pressures means, for example, what about climate change impact uh, on, on the particular location and how is that going to be affecting the vision of the tourist uh, coming into that place? Uh, so then, and resilience, of course, if you don't have uh, uh, enough regulatory measures contribute to keep tourism to a sustainable level, then, uh, of course, it's going to get to a point that is uh, going to be beyond what is sustainable and is going to be uh, having a negative impact uh, on the remaining components of the of the index. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting goal and uh, very challenging. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and today we're talking about the Ocean Health Index with Lelis Bravo and Julia Stewart-Lowndes. I wonder if you could talk about sort of how people should understand the index when they come to it. So it took me a little while of digging around on the website to kind of figure out, like, what is this telling me? What is this helping me understand? So could you walk through if one of our listeners went to the Ocean Health Index website? Like, what what are they going to find there, and how can... You know, how is that, how can they use it to understand, again, ocean health? Yes. So the way um, we communicate it on the Ocean Health Index is it comes to a very high level, but then you can kind of peel back like an onion and uncover more and more details. But, um, but there is a single score for the entire assessment area. So for our global assessments, there's like a single score for ocean health in the world, which I believe is around 73 out of 100. And the way we communicate that is um, 
that number comes from a weighted average of 10 of these goals that we represent like petals around the center of the flower. And so each of those goals has its own score from zero to 100 that, that is a weighted average together. Um, and then you can also dig deeper into each of those petals and see the models that were created um, in, and the data behind how those, that score came, came to be. So, so summarizing it um, at a single spatial scale, like global, and then digging deeper into each goal is one way that we summarize. You could also look at a single place like um, Ecuador and then dig deeper into the petals of that single place. So we, so there is a lot of, there's a lot of detail that we, we try to present in a way that you can dig deeper and uncover this, the science behind it, the data behind it, and then also the code behind it so that you can take this and do this your, yourself in a different um, spatial scale. You know, when I when I first saw the scale, I I was thinking of a couple of couple of ideas came to mind for me. One is the the various places rated almanacs, you know, that you have <laughs> where you see these kind of ratings of cities or ratings of locations, and they typically have multiple dimensions, and they may be weighted equally, or they may you may have mm -hmm. some differential weights, or you know, in the in risk assessment world, these cumulative risk assessments when you're thinking about lots of potential impacts or lots of potential outcomes as part of of what you're evaluating. A, a question that I had when thinking about these indices is would be do all audiences think about weighing the dimensions in the same way? You know, because I, I could well imagine that some that a, that someone who lives and lives right next to the ocean might have a different sense of what they would think of as important among the scale here. You know, versus someone who is thinking about I don't know, kind of the economic yield that they hope to to, to obtain from this this from the ocean as resource. So I, I, I'm just curious about this idea of, of weighting and, and using these dimensions in some ways, given that you probably have very disparate uh, communities of, of interest and concern for when, that are evaluating this. Yes, that's a big question. There's, there's a lot of value judgments that are built into the Ocean Health Index on the, how you weigh those goals and also how each goal um, actually has a, its own reference point too, saying what is what is 100 out of 100 for this goal, um, and those are all those are all val you know uh, those are all human decisions that are based on the best available data when available, but also um, expert opinion, um, and that does vary. So um, what we try to do is just make that process transparent so that you can say this is what we mean by 100 out of 100, um, because a lot of those decisions are often made in people's heads or behind closed doors. So just trying to put that out there in a transparent way. Um, and one, one, uh, one assessment up in Canada actually did do a, a, a national survey of trying to understand how these goals would be weighted um, in different geographic regions by age um, and by kind of perspective on natural resources. And, and it does vary. Um, and on how folks would weigh those goals. Um, and so then it's, you know, I think it's an additional communication and community engagement and trust building opportunity to kind of take that information and, and make policy from there. I was going to actually ask about this policy piece because I, I stole the, the language about vital signs of the ocean from the Ocean Health Index <laughs> website because I loved that turn of phrase. But I do wonder if you if, you, you know, you've been doing this since working on this since 2013, if you have instances where 
the work that has been collected as part of these assessments has actually turned into tangible policy or, or some kind of ch- real change to address maybe some issues that were highlighted in an assessment? Yeah, uh, I, I just follow into that idea. The, for example, uh, the assessment we did for the Guayaquil uh, uh, Gulf was an example of uh, how this index could be used for policymaking and for future projections on, on what kind of actions uh, the community and the local governments should take. But importantly is that this has to be also repeated in time in order to have a better value because, you know, if you do the assessment once for a particular year, you get the results and then you don't follow up, uh, it is going to vanish uh, and dilute in time. And and I think, uh, unfortunately, you need to have some sustained funding or uh, support or uh, organization locally that uh, continues and, and look at the value of that. Uh, uh, it's it's, uh, it's important. For example, for uh, uh, in the in the in the two assessments we've done in Ecuador, the fisheries part and the mariculture um, component is being very important to you know keep or just give a warning and uh, uh, somehow give a sense of where they are as. Uh, people that is using these resources to feed the population, to to have uh, revenues in terms of uh, imports and exports. Uh, How much, I mean, how well are we doing? Are we really uh, over-exploiting our oceans or or not? And then I think that was something that I kept or just gave a a big piece of uh, thinking uh, to the to the local uh, governments and the local institutions uh, in charge of of the fisheries management in the country. Yeah, uh, but as I said, you have this uh, one-time assessment, and this is not continuing to understand how it varies from year to year, then to my mind, it is going to get diluted and uh, it's going to vanish, unfortunately. But the good thing about the people in Santa Barbara is that you, uh, uh, the global assessment is being done uh, annually. So uh, maybe you want to add more about that, uh, Julia. Yeah, no, um, yeah, I, I do think that, that the importance of the repeated assessment is really critical so that you can refine and and use that first one as as maybe like a version 1.0 and get more Mm -hmm. feedback and identify data gaps and Mm -hmm. and really um go from there and so the global assessment you know this is actually our 10-year anniversary of global (laughs) scores which is (laughs) which is exciting uh we'll release that yeah later this year um and that's it's been considered um, for the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals for Life Underwater, and um, you know that's it's still a, a sort of work in progress there. But but really having that kind of iteration and buy-in over time has been important. One other example I can say too is um, there's an assessment in the Baltic um, Sea, the Baltic Health Index, and they really use their first assessment kind of as a version 1.0 in order to really identify data gaps and identify um, uh, gaps in um, collaborators that should be involved. And so, but but they still found value in saying, but this is an endpoint for the first one. 
we're going to be able to communicate around this and say what we've learned and then do the second one and start um, looking at these through time in order to inform policy. So as, as I'm thinking about this, I'm just imagining this tremendous effort that's reflected here. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I think when I've when you're talking about 10 goals, dimensions crossed with three different state status pressures, resilience, and thinking about the data that needs to be collected. I'm just curious, how many people are involved and <laughs> in, in, in doing this? I mean, you, you know, it's, it seems like, uh, you know, this, this gigantic multi-ring circus of, that has to be coordinated that you bring together. So I'm just curious, just how large a task is this and how many are involved in coordinating and how many are involved in collecting and, and, and gathering these data? Yeah. Um, so this is a, a really cool story about open science and, and collaboration, really. Um, when we first started, um, you know, around 2010 or 20, 2009, it was a big team of 30 to, to kind of design the, the con- this conceptual framework to identify openly available data sources, which is a foundation of the Ocean Health Index, that these are publicly available data. Um, and then to you know to, to design that framework and then do the analysis, write the code and whatnot. Um, and here now in 2021, we have one full-time person able to iterate each year, um, and that's partly because the design of the but conceptually is 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 stable now. But it's also because we've designed all these um, you know the way we've written code, the way we um, automate a lot of processes so that we can look for new years of data from the existing data sets we're already modeling, accommodate any changes, um, incorporate new science where where possible, but then reproduce the scores, not only for um, the current year, but then also back calculating all past years so that the models, that any fine tuning we did to the models this year are also able to be accurately compared backwards through time. Yeah, so it's the power of team science, open data science, and uh, a lot of community support. That's very cool. Yeah. Thank you both so much for being here today. That's all the time we have for this episode. And I'm so sad because I think John and I have a million questions (laughs) that we did not get to. But um, it's been a pleasure talking to you both. Thanks so much. Thank you. You as well. Thank you so much. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media, Journalism, and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter at Stats and Stories, on Apple Podcasts, or other places where you can find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories, where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.